Green Confidential Podcast. I'm Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. And I'm Aaron McMahon. Juwan Howard returned to all his duties as Michigan's head coach, leading the Wolverines in their latest win. He detailed his recovery process and addressed some of the controversy surrounding the program. Signing day for football is this week, and we preview Michigan's 2024 recruiting class. That and more coming up on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys, good to be here with you Monday morning, December 18th. Uh, yeah, been a been a few, I guess, somewhat uneventful days since our last podcast. Uh, I did see Michigan held its own uh, uh, team banquet for the for the football program, gave out their awards, and JJ McCarthy was the uh, the MVP. That was your pick, right, Aaron? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Two of us had had uh, Mikey Sainer still. I think you were the McCarthy. I was. I mean, it's obvious, right? Like, I feel like that's always the default quarterback. I mean. Sure. You guys certainly made a case, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's like the Heisman Trophy, right? Everyone seems to always want to go with the quarterback, whether it was, whether it's warranted or not. So, I mean, not not a surprise. Or NFL MVP, or yeah, anything like that. It seems like yes. there's always skewed towards quarterbacks, but whatever. Well, and I, we were never. I was never, you know, like against McCarthy right. winning it. There's no, no outrage here, and or any, <laughs> you know, surprise by any means. But uh, Sanders still did get a piece of their, you know, defensive player of the year. I, I saw that. Uh, but yeah, McCarthy takes home the MVP uh, as we are now two weeks out from kickoff in the. Rose Bowl, Michigan against Alabama in the semifinal. You guys getting a little more excited or what's the, where are you at here as we're two weeks out? I want to get through Christmas. You know, I got a lot going on here and I'm sure everyone else does. So I think once, once Christmas is over and I get to the airport on the 26th and board the flight to LA, I think it'll like finally sink in like, Hey, it's, it's here. The Rose Bowl's here. It's, I mean, I don't know about you guys. And I think we've discussed this offline, but like, this has always been one of my goals, like like a dream situation to cover is the Rose Bowl. It was something you grew up watching. It was always been the the Big Ten's thing, and it's so I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, for me, it's like get through signing day, try and enjoy a few days uh, around Christmas time, and then just hit the ground running in in LA. But like, yeah, on the flight there on the 27th for me it's starting to be like hey i'm I'm going to cover the rose bowl just a, a prime matchup between two blue bloods like this let's go Saban versus harbaugh um I, I, it just hasn't really it, it, the initial reaction was like all right this is awesome and then it's been a couple weeks now and it's like all right we haven't really talked with anyone on the team it's been more recruiting focused for me and it's like all right yeah there's still a game but it's still like weeks away and then now all right, we're within the two-week window and starting to get a little amped up. But like the signing day, the early signing period in December is awful. Like it's it throws a wrinkle, and I mean for the coaches too, like and for reporters, it's awful. So hopefully one day that will change. Um, but yeah, at that point this week, it's it's all recruiting focus for me, and and then player interviews that we have and coordinator interviews this week as well. I think there too, there's like something to say about the gap, you know, at the end from the end of the conference championship game to like to the to the playoff. I mean, it's it's like over a month, and I think, almost think it's almost too long in some regards. Um, and that's maybe one of the reasons why it's it's like you know, you're, Michigan's at this high. You know, they they play Ohio State, then they beat Ohio State, and they play for Big Ten championship and win it, and then 
and then there's nothing for weeks. And I, I think that, you know, that probably plays into it. I'm almost kind of looking forward to the 12 team playoff when they kind of start, you know, midway through December and there's only a couple week break there as opposed to the full month. But nonetheless, I mean, it'll, it'll start to sink in. I think once the holiday season gets, gets, gets over with. Absolutely. Well, we've got a little basketball to, to hold us over until then. Uh, the Michigan men's team won on Saturday. They beat Eastern Michigan at, at Chrysler Center, 83-66. Um, but the bigger story was Jawan Howard's uh, kind of complete return uh, to the sideline. He had obviously he'd been there. He'd been on the bench, um, you know, for several games for Michigan. But this was the first one where he was the acting head coach. He stood throughout the game. Phil Martelli sat, uh, and you know, it was his voice that they that they heard um, most, um, you know, throughout the game. The players that is. So, uh, and then he, and then he talked after the game, and it was it was his first time talking to the media since uh, his post game press conference when last season ended in the second round of, of the NIT. IT, um, you know, in Nashville against Vanderbilt. So, uh, you know, he, he had a lot to say. I mean, it's, what do you think of the team so far? You know, uh, shoot, could have gone back to Hunter Dickinson transferring. Was, there's so much to potentially cover, but, you know, obviously the, f- the focus was kind of just on on his surgery and and recovery. Um, you know, he had, he had a lot to say. He was pretty, you know, open and insightful about it all, I thought. Uh, and he said he felt not right, went to the doctor, and, uh, you know, heard how serious this was and that he was going to require open heart surgery. And yet he still was like, hey, can we do this after the season? Um, and the doctor was like, yeah, you might not be around after the season if we if we wait till then. It, it Yeah, it, it, it actually is <laughs> a much smaller thing, of course, getting an appendectomy. I'm not comparing the two procedures in any way. But uh, it did remind me of when uh, I had to get one of those, and it was right before I was actually about to move to Ann Arbor. Uh, and I was like, well, I got to get through this move. Can I just get it done in in Michigan? And it was like, no, like you you could die. This thing is about to explode. Like, oh, all right then. Uh, so yeah, they took care of that. So, um, But even then, he pushed it back. He pushed it back a week because the, the date was September 8th, I guess. Uh, and uh, Jawan was like, well, you know, I've got I've got a big recruit coming to campus that weekend can we do it can we do it the next one uh so they pushed it they did the doctor's like all right you get one week on this but but don't don't try this again so they did it on uh they did it on the 15th um yeah he compared you know when he woke up it was like he was hit by a mac truck he said uh and you know 15 days in the hospital it's a grueling recovery um but he said the the doctors kind of put a plan for him to to get back gradually so he'd, he'd watch practice from you know kind of a, a perch at either in chrysler or their, or their practice center uh it sounds like maybe they wanted him to do that for a few more days than he actually did before he you know crept down to the to the floor and actually you know participated a little bit more um and then it was you know actually running a practice he wanted to be back um you know on the bench and maybe even just being the head coach sometime in november he was kind of targeting you know, the, the Bahamas, uh, you know, the tournament there. Uh, but again, the doctors were like, no, it's probably going to be more like mid December. And, you know, he's, he can say now in hindsight, they of course knew more than, than he did. Um, because that, that, that was the case. He felt, you know, he felt very tired after just running a, a practice and, uh, you know, again, eased back into it with being on the bench for a game, but not being the, the main guy. And then, you know, finally on, on Saturday, um, it was him who was who was the head coach. So, uh, yeah, he, you know, yeah, there were some of the interesting things about just being, uh, 
unsure if he was ever going to be able to to coach again if he, if he should if he wanted to you know if he needed to prioritize his health more but obviously in the end he he decided he could do it he wanted to do it and it, it, was, it was great to see him back out there on saturday you probably paid attention to him more than most of us watching the game but did he look like him same his old self you know walking the sidelines interacting with with the players Yes, I, w- I would say yes. I mean, there'll be, there'll be, it was a, you know, comfortable win. Uh, you know, Eastern Michigan did make, make a little run in the second half, got it, uh, you know, back to 10 at one point, um, but never, never closer than that. Um, you know, not the highest stakes of games and all that. So we'll see as we, we start to, um, you know, get into more challenging games and, uh, you know, more raucous environments and things like that, how, how he is. Cause someone did ask him after the game, if he will have to change anything you know, about his, his lifestyle in general, um, you know, it's a, it's a high stress job. There's a lot of travel. Um, and you just wonder even, even on the court during the game. So if he'll have to behave differently, we wondered this with, with John Beeline, uh, you know, a few years ago when he had his heart surgery, you know, before the season. And, um, yeah, he didn't really, he didn't really answer that exactly. Just he basically said, you know, health is is just so important. If you don't have health, you don't have anything. He didn't. So it seems like yes, he's he's prioritizing that. Um, but I don't know if it means not getting you know as as fired up at the officials or, or things like that during during games. I mean, he he was he was he was ejected from a game while he was not even the head coach, which he he joked actually was. Um, that was just one of the stages in his recovery was, was getting, uh, getting ejected from a game. He had to, you know, prove he could, he was, he was back in, in, with engaging with the refs. So, uh, yeah, I, he, he seemed, you know, I saw him, yes, you know, get on the refs a little bit at times and, you know, he was, he was the one leading the huddle. We obviously don't sit, uh, super close at, at Chrysler. It'll be interesting. Maybe at some, you know, other, other road games down the line where get a little closer look, but, uh, yes, he seemed, he seemed, uh, you know, like himself for sure. So, so were you kind of surprised this was the game that he, he came back to coach? I mean, it just seems like with all the off the court stuff going on and, and the review of a, a potential incident with, with John Sanderson, that maybe they would wait a little bit longer to, to bring him back in as the head coach. But, uh, you would probably know more than I about the whole situation and, and the reasoning why he, this was the, the date he came back. You could argue, you know, the thought was, all right, let's bring him back now so that he can, uh, that could be the focus is just his return more so than any of this other stuff. But I, I even think that's more conspiracy theory. That's, I, I think this was just the time It was, you know, he, the timeline was such that he felt ready. He said after the, you know, the games at Oregon and Iowa, you know, true uh, on college campuses, uh, you know, he felt that energy and he felt like, all right, now, now I'm ready. Now is the time. So you know, he revealed it to the team on, uh, you know, Friday afternoon after practice. Um, and yeah, that was, uh, he, he was ready to go. So I think that was, that was more, more what it was. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, it was, it was discussed. I mean, the, the statement from athletic director Warren Manuel on Friday was kind of a, a, a double whammy. It was, Hey, Juwan's back. He's ready to resume, you know, full time active head coaching duties, you know, and also he's been, uh, you know, absolved of any, you know, wrongdoing in this investigation we did into an incident involving several staff members, it said. So, uh, you know, I asked Juwan after the game, you know, what is John Sanderson's status with the program? Because he was not there. Uh, he was not, he was not at the game, um, on Saturday. And he said, I don't know, uh, and referred me to Warren Manuel's statement, which doesn't mention Sanderson at all. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, they, they go to they go to Charlotte here um, coming up. Um, 
I don't know, this isn't going to be like a daily story for me. I'm not going to be on John Sanderson watch, but it's, it is interesting. He's a very, you know, long time respected member of the staff who now, uh, I don't know, seems to be somewhat in, in limbo, but, uh, yes, they, and the women will travel to Charlotte. You might remember this from last year, the jump man invitational. That was the inaugural year. Uh, this is year two, uh, North Carolina, Oklahoma, um, and Florida, the other, the other three teams, Jordan brand schools, in this event, so they've, they've been rotating who they play. Last year, both men and women played North Carolina. This year, it's Florida. Uh, the men play first on Tuesday night, the women on Wednesday. Um, I'll be there for for both of them. So, uh, yeah, it should be, should be interesting. Michigan's now, the men are 6-5 and five after this win, certainly playing better the last couple of games, uh, you know, getting balanced scoring, which is key for them. Uh, you know, Florida ranked rated a little bit higher than, you know, pretty close, but just a little bit higher, you know, in like the computer ratings on, on Ken Palm, for example, Florida's 38, Michigan's 45. Um, you know, there's, there's seven and three, um, on the year so far, the Florida women are, are seven and three as well. Um, but you know, not ranked, um, Michigan women, not ranked either, but, you know, coming off, a a nice win on Saturday over Miami of Ohio, they're nine and two, you know, playing better now with their new starting lineup. So it should be two, two competitive games and, uh, yeah, I'll have coverage of both on MLive.com slash Wolverines. Yeah, that's all I got on the on the basketball side. Uh, I'm ready to talk signing day if you guys are. It's Wednesday, December 20th is when this early period begins. Uh, we can get into some some specifics, but kind of, Ryan, if you could just set the stage for for what's happening, why it's an important day, and then yeah, what Michigan fans should know. Yeah, I mean, for the past several years now, I mean, this has really been the the new main signing day with most prospects putting pen to paper uh, here in December, and, and a lot it allows some prospects to enroll early and get a head start, and and even did a few practices in before bowl games for for some teams. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm expect Michigan internally has 26 verbal pledges in this 2024 class, and I'm expecting pretty much all, all if not all most to sign on Wednesday or at least Wednesday or Thursday, but I don't expect them to really be very active. I mean, if you go back to last year, they had five, they added five guys in the week leading up to signing day, including getting two of their top remaining targets on that, that Wednesday. And they ended up being two of their top four ranked players overall. So it was, it it was a slow start last year for them, but they kind of had a strong finish uh, but still finished with a class ranked outside the top 15. Uh, this year was quite the opposite. I mean, really, they, they had 28 commits by the time the season started uh, back in, in September. Then they've lost three. They just picked up another one um, this earlier this month. Uh, David Palepale, who we've talked about before, flipped him from USC, a three-star defensive lineman. And really, the only prospect i'm thinking that they have a legitimate uh shot at getting at least on wednesday or before wednesday is uh, a four-star edge ludard edopaye um he's kind of been uh, a late riser in this class really didn't have any power five offers um before his senior season he's now ranked just outside the top 300 uh took a visit to michigan last week and it appears like the Wolverines are leading for him. And obviously that would be big because they've lost a couple four-star edges um, in, in, since uh, since August. So that would be a, a nice little get. And then there's, there's Gatlin Bear, too, that we've talked about a lot. But he's not expected to sign until February. 
And even wh whatever school he chooses, he's not enrolling in college until 2026 either to do a, a two-year mission trip. So it's like he's an unbelievable talent, top 50 prospect, would be a game breaker for any team that gets him. But again, it's it's hard to get too excited for that someone like that when you're looking so far in advance and you don't, I mean, if, let's say Harbaugh and is gone by then or, or Cheryl Moore is gone by then, like he can always back out of his, his, his letter and choose somewhere else, kind of like Andrew Gentry did with, with Michigan last year or two years ago when he was originally committed to Virginia. They had a coaching change and Michigan went to see him while he was on his mission and, and got him to flip. So uh, that's, those are the two storylines I'll be paying attention and, and just making sure Michigan's able to hold on to all their commits too. It doesn't seem like anyone's wavering, but you never know this time of year if someone, you know, drops a bag and with NIL or anything like that, that can always change some things, but I'm expecting it to be a pretty quiet day overall. And if you look at the, top part of the class it's definitely offensive focused i mean the top four recruits are all offensive guys six of the top eight are offensive guys and they're really positions that you would expect michigan to like go heavy after right the offensive tackle andrew sprague is their number one overall prospect at this point jane davis quarterback uh running back jordan marshall you got a tight end there so it's it's really those positions michigan's really excelled at in recent years and developed well and kind of made the bread and butter of their offense so it's it's very you know uh, typical Michigan uh, recruiting class. No, no real surprises here, I guess, as Ryan was insinuating or like alluding to. So um, I, I think they're like, what, 18th ranked right now or 16th ranked in the 16th right now. Yeah. It's probably fluctuating on a daily basis, but yeah, top 20 class, um, not bad. You probably expect them to do maybe a little bit better just given the success in the field. But again, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, you talk about NIL, uh, Michigan still, I think perceived as maybe being a little bit behind there. Um, you've obviously got the unknowns with the coaching staff and Jim Harbaugh moving forward, but by and large, like Ryan said, they locked this class up relatively early. Uh, you know, they've had some movement a little bit since, but by and large, their top guys have been pretty, pretty well established from the, from the get go. Um, and, and then on top of the, the high school kids, there's, there's a couple of transfer portal, uh, guys that we're kind of watching right now. Uh, two guys I think have been forecasted to land with Michigan. They haven't committed yet. They haven't announced their intention to transfer to Michigan yet, but we're expecting it. Um, one being defensive back Upton Stout. I uh, played two seasons at North, uh, North Texas, played two seasons at Western Kentucky. Um, he's only 5'9", 185, but he's a playmaker. Uh, you know, he had four, four interceptions, six pro, uh, pass breakups in 22, uh, or excuse me, 21. This past year, 2022, he had one interception, nine uh, pass breakups and a forced fumble. So, uh, he'd probably be a nickel is my guess if they do land him, uh, but someone to pay attention to. And then the other one, two edge rusher, Jay Sean Barham from Maryland, uh, played high school ball at St. Francis Academy with Derek Moore. So there's a familiar, familiarity there. Played two seasons at Maryland, four sacks in 20, 2022, three sacks and an interception this year. And the interception actually came against Michigan. Uh, so uh, a couple of names to pay attention to in the portal. I don't necessarily know if they're going to commit this week, but it, it certainly would be a possibility. Yeah, I, I think for Michigan, I, I think that the transfer portal is going to be more of an emphasis moving forward. And um, But yeah, going back to the high school class real quick, I think it's important to, to note that Michigan hasn't lost anyone since the, the sign-stealing scandal broke. And I've spoken with a, a couple of commits, spoken with a couple of recruiting experts, and they all said that, that it hasn't really played much of a factor in, in recruiting, uh, at least in this 2024 class too. Now, if Harbaugh leaves for the NFL, 
that that could potentially change some things. But even then, I think now that we've seen Jerome Moore, um, how he's been able to coach on game days, and and this the way that Harbaugh has spoke about him in recent years, like if he if the, the mission makes a transition to him, I think they it would be a pretty smooth overall transition too. So, um, yeah, it's it's outside the top fifteen for a second straight year, which has been kind of rare for Harbaugh. It hasn't happened. Um, but I think compared to last year, there was more high-end talent. I mean, there was only a couple top 150 prospects last year, um, no top 100 guys, and no one that really kind of wowed you. But then, I mean, you looked at this year, <clears throat> Jordan Marshall, back-to-back player of the year in, in Ohio. Uh, I, I really like him as a running back, a, a complete back um, that I think could c- come in right away and make an impact. Uh, Jaden Davis, he's, I mean, he, he was the former number two overall prospect in this class and he's kind of dipped since then. Um, I spoke with a couple of recruiting experts about that last week and they kind of said, well, when you've been in the spotlight since your freshman year, you, a, a lot of these recruiting guys get a, many chances to look at them and you're maybe are nitpicking more than other prospects that burst onto the scene late. Um, so I think people are still high on him. And he's still a, a legitimate pro- I mean, he's still top 100 guy, number 93 overall in the 24-7 composite. So I, I, I can see him maybe having a bright future. I don't see him starting next year for Michigan, but maybe a similar case with J.J. McCarthy and getting him in a, a few few games. And then, yeah, their tight end class, too, with, with two top 300 tight ends. Obviously, Michigan loves their tight ends, and we've seen them. A.J. Barner and uh, Colson Loveland both thrive this year. So, like like Aaron mentioned, very offensive-focused. Um, they got some um, – they beefed up the defensive line a little bit. The only concern is the secondary. Two cornerbacks, uh, one ranked outside the top 1,000 in Jeremiah Lowe, and then only one safety in Jacob Odin, who's a, a in-state prospect who I'm pretty high on. But, again – you would think they would try. They would have added a few more guys at the position, but as we talked about this summer, they swung big with some Ohio five-star corners, did not land them, and 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 they never really were able to recover from that. So overall, I, I'm still pretty high on this. I'm higher on this class than I was the, the the past year, and even though they're outside the top 15, I think there's some real talent to to look forward to in in this year's group. First of all, that potential transfer from. North Texas and Western Kentucky. That's the mean green and the Hilltoppers. That's the unique, <laughs> unique mascot double play there. But uh, how, let me ask you this, how important, okay, given um, the transfer portal now, given that the COVID year is still in effect for next year, you could have a guy that 2020 didn't count. So he's got, you know, still four more years with next year. Okay. Uh, like how important in the short term, at least is high school recruiting? I mean, it's it's still the lifeblood of of programs. I think it's still very important. I mean, you look at the the four teams in the playoff right now. I mean, Alabama has been top two over the past four or five years, and and I I did a breakdown of where all their starters are were as recruits, and they got four and five stars loaded up across their lineup too. And same thing with Georgia. And I think anyone you would probably argue those are two of maybe the most talented teams in the country this year. So it's still very important, but I think it's, it's much, if you do have a, a down year in recruiting high schoolers, it's easier to plug in holes through the transfer portal than it was in the past. And I think you're going to like, like Michigan this year, they were able, they didn't have sign a really good high school recruiting class, but they brought in some immediate help 
and look what some of the transfers have done for them this year, and they're back in the college football playoffs. So I don't think it's a long-term solution to build a roster like Deion Sanders might be trying to do, but uh, it's yeah, I still think you you need to mix in some some good high school recruits, develop them, get them in your culture, and and hopefully get them for three three four years too. I think it for, it can force programs to be a little more selective with the players they take out of high school, right? Coaches maybe aren't going to take those larger recruiting classes they may have in previous years because they're going to f- slot some of those spots for for transfer portal people. And like Zook said, he, they they can use um, you know guys that, that are well known. There's tape on there's tape you know there's tape of them. They know what they can get and they can afford to plug them in right away and play them as opposed to maybe waiting for you know a DB to develop in, in a couple of years. So I, I think it maybe hurts the – and Zook, you can chime in if you agree or disagree with me, but I think it maybe it's going to hurt long-term. Maybe some of those those cusp like high school recruits, like those fringe three-star guys that maybe schools will look to use to fill out a recruiting class – because um, I think teams are going to look to the portal and look for guys that they can plug in right there and play immediately and, and then get some production out of. So, I, yeah, like she said, I don't think it's a long-term thing, but I, I do think it's going to, over time, it's going to affect the, the size of the high school classes that these 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 programs take in. Yeah, most definitely. And, I mean, those those MAC players before maybe are now Division II guys or FCFs, FCS guys too. And but you you might you'll probably see more of guys going from like FCS or Division Two to Division One if they have a couple strong years there. It's it's kind of almost might be like a minor league system now, just with with high schoolers not having as many opportunities to play either Power Five or Division One football but they can go elsewhere and, and develop a little bit more and then get their opportunity too. So it, it's completely changed in the, in the past couple of years. And yeah, like there's the high school kids aren't going to have as many opportunities, but hopefully there, there's still some landing spots for them and, and they can develop. And even if it's not at their schools that they, they might not have as high on their list initially. I will say this, the portal has really kind of made things a little bit more transparent with like the, the quality of the player. Like we're seeing high, you know, high ranked top, you know, five star kids go to schools, and if they're not getting jobs immediately, or they're not playing, or they're not just not as good as maybe they were ranked, they're they're, they're dropping down and going to a group of five school or a lower level FBS school. And and like Zook said, if you go to like a if you're a borderline FBS player and you have a good couple of years, like we saw, like with Josiah Stewart at Coastal Carolina, you move up because you, you want a bigger opportunity. So I, I think in a way, it's it's the the days of guys who are maybe over recruited and stick on rosters for four or five years and just rarely play or over because this is, it just creates a quicker turnover here for, for both sides, you know, players that aren't playing well, they get moved down and guys who are playing well at the lower levels are going to move up because they want a bigger opportunity and schools want it, you know, they want more productivity. So it's, it's definitely changed the way uh, schools manage rosters uh, recruit. It's, it's, it's been fascinating to watch. Yeah, you look at a program like Syracuse, they would never have a shot like at a five-star quarterback like Kyle McCord coming out of high school. But maybe, yeah, as we've seen, like Kyle McCord can be a pretty good college quarterback, but is he a five-star talent? Maybe not. And and yeah, obviously we've seen him, um, despite being the starter for Ohio State this year, enter the portal and look for another opportunity. And and now he's at at Syracuse, which it's great for them. And I'm sure, I mean, hey, I'm sure Syracuse fans are going to hang their hat on, hey, we landed a former five-star quarterback, and and that will get the fan base excited. So, no, I, I, 
there, there's pros and cons to it, um, but it is it's just different. It's wild to to see how how things have unfolded here over the last couple of years, and it's not going to be changing anytime soon. It could be even more chaotic. Got Dan Valari as a target there, big t- big tight end target. That's probably <laughs> influenced this, his decision. Um, all right, well, signing day is Wednesday, December 20th, and we've got the couple of Michigan basketball games that I mentioned as well coming up, uh, as well as uh, getting the chance to talk to some of the Michigan football players and coaches this week, um, you know, to, to kind of get their, their, their thoughts on Alabama and, and leading up to this Rose Bowl matchup. So we'll have coverage of it all on MLive.com slash Wolverines. Thanks for listening.